0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: Chapter 11. In the last chapter, Al Rebbe explained that prayer is a time of teshuva, Prayer is a time of return, us returning, our soul returning and reconnecting to Hashem, but the higher form of Teshuvah, a Teshuvah that's uh, suffused with joy, because I'm returning, reconnecting, and that's why prayer itself has to be joyful, you have to serve Hashem with joy, service Hashem refers to serving, especially service of the heart, which is prayer, avoid those sacrifices, which is prayer, substituted by prayers, so it has to be joyful. You're returning, you're reconnecting. But the Talmud says there's no way to begin prayer unless first you feel some contrition, a lower level of teshuva. Because if a person's ego is intact and you have a sense of arrogance or you're so proud of yourself and you're so smug and content and nothing can grow unless until you unless you've plant a seed in fertile ground, nothing can grow. First you have to plow the ground. So if a person is so, I'm okay and there's no contrition and there's no broken that means that the arrogance is so out of control. You're completely clueless. You know, when a person starts feeling haughty and superior and I'm too good for this person, how can I keep company with this person? I'm so much better. <laughs> you become so, you know, so superior. And you start patting yourself on your own back and you become very haughty. That means you're so clueless. You're so far from the truth. Because the beginning of holiness, the beginning of truth is a broken heart, humility. If you don't feel that brokenness, you know, it's amazing. When a person's heart is broken, something external happens, God forbid, a tragedy, something happens. Suddenly a person's humanity comes out. Suddenly he's nice. Before that he was mean and nasty. Suddenly he's he's nice. His heart is broken, his heart is soft. This menschlichkeit comes out. This humanity. All this arrogance and this haughtiness. and I'm so be- better than you and I'm so how can I talk to you and who you're nobody and, and you exaggerate the other person's faults and you exaggerate your own qualities if there are any. And, <laughs> and you just create this bubble, this illusion and you live in this bubble. All of a sudden the bubble pops and what happens? The delusion is gone and now you're you're down to earth, you're a pleasure, you're a mensh, You can talk to you, you're approachable, you're behaving normal like a normal human being. So you can't get to the higher level of teshuva before you cross the Rubicon. You have to cross, you have to cross this threshold. You have to have first a teshuva tato. Talmud said there's no other way. It's impossible to do it otherwise. You can't begin unless a person first experiences that humility. As it says in the code of Jewish law, before you daven, you have to meditate on the greatness of Hashem and on the the smallness of the person. You have to be broken. You have to be reduced to size. You have to come down to earth. You have to bring yourself down to reality. You know, if a person has an exaggerated sense of self, narcissistic personality, an exaggerated sense of self, nothing good can come of it. You're going nowhere. You can think that you're dancing with the angels, but you're just dancing with yourself. It's a house of mirrors. It's totally delusion. There's no reality to it. You want to get real. You have to, the opening of, of holiness, and the, any opening has to be a brokenheartedness, a sense of humility. So, first you have to do shivatatta, the lower level of truth. You have to realize your shortcomings, and you have to realize your faults, and you have to, it has to break your heart, and you have to. Focus on that and when your heart is broken, you clear the shrubbery, you clear the, the garbage, now I, can, now I can focus on the greatness of Hashem and start advancing in my spiritual evolvement and my growth and becoming spiritual. But then it's real. It has a foundation, it has a cornerstone, it's real, it's reality. If a person doesn't feel that, then you run for the hills. And then watch out. This person can be very dangerous. Because his delusions will only fuel his arrogance. And he thinks that he's being spiritual, and he thinks that he's in a high level, but really he's in the abyss. He's in the abyss, and he thinks he's dancing with the angels. So there's no other way. You know, a great Hasidic master once said, this is life is like walking a tightrope. If you're constantly on edge, you know, one false move. And, and, uh, and if you don't feel that, then it means you already, you're already fell off, you're already in the abyss. So a person has to feel how fragile and how, if you're open, your heart is broken, then you can go on to the next level. So there's no other way. This is, must be the introduction. Dr. Rebbe said, in the older generations, they were able to switch from the lower level of Teshuvah, which is about contrition and about being brokenhearted and about dealing with my negativity, and switching to the higher level of Teshuvah, which is about connection and and becoming one with Hashem and be joyful. They were able to make that switch. Right before davening, they were in an introspective mode and they were soul-searching and they were brokenhearted. And the next thing you knew, they were endavening, they were joyful. And, but he says, today we don't have that power, the capacity to make that switch. So he suggests that it should be in two different times, either at midnight or the night before. Before you go to bed, you read the Shema, you do a soul-searching, or at least once a week, before the Shabbat, Thursday night, that's a time to uh, assess the week, do some soul-searching, so it will enable you to enter into Shabbat, which Shabbat itself is the idea of Teshuvah, but the higher level of Teshuvah, especially the prayer of Shabbat, which is the peak of Teshuvah, of connection with Hashem. So in order to be to experience Shabbat in its fullest, to experience that joy and that pleasure and that communion with Hashem, that complete egolessness, first you've got to deal with the ego on Thursday night. You have to deal with your ego. And that inflated its sense of self and delusions and arrogance, and it accumulates. And we all have it. There's plenty of material to work with. <laughs> we don't have to worry that we're going to run out of material to work with. I'm so perfect. I have nothing to examine and nothing to soul search. I'm okay. I'm wonderful. The missioner says, "Who is a rich person? He who's satisfied with his lot, because you can always look at the person who's poorer than you. You don't have a shoe." It's a person who doesn't have a leg. You're grateful that you have the leg. You can always look at a person who's less off than you, and therefore you should be satisfied and be grateful for the gifts that you have. But that's only true when it comes to material things. When it comes to spiritual things, people utilize this being satisfied and grateful for spiritual in the spiritual state of being. Listen, I'm, I know I'm not the best but at least I come to Shul. How about all the bums and low lifes never show up in Shul? <laughs> I'm much better than them. I'm ahead of the game. I'm, I'm so grateful and thankful. I deserve a medal. That's not what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says, when it comes to material things, you should be satisfied with your state of being. But when it comes to your spiritual st- status, you should never be satisfied. Don't look at the one who's worse off than you. Look at the one who's better than you. Look, he's coming to Shul every day. I only come to Shul three times a week. He's learning more than me. He's giving more tzedakah than me. He's working on himself. He's refining his character. He's becoming a better person. Well, I'm stagnating. So, we all have material to work with. And the person who thinks he has nothing to work with, he's perfect. He's the first person that has to start working. Because it means he's so clueless. He's so arrogant and deceitful and so cool and self-absorbed that he has simply no idea how repulsive, what a repulsive human being he is. But he better step back and look at himself honestly and objectively. We other people see, it, see us. We can't be honest with ourselves, about ourselves. It's almost humanly impossible. But other people could be brutally honest about us. They have no problem. (laughs) There's no distortions. Our ego (laughs) distorts our own self. But our ego doesn't care about the other person. So our ego, there's no blinders. We see the other person brutally honest. You know, customers always get it right. Customers know. Can't fool a customer. Customers know right away. Because they're totally honest about the other person. The marketplace is is a very honest place. We live in a world of lies and illusions, but the marketplace is brutally honest. You can't get anything past the customers. They're brutally honest. I'm not, I have no interest in fooling myself when it comes to you. So I'm going to tell it like it is, 100%. So imagine being able to see ourselves the way others see us. That's, a, that's a, If we see, we see ourselves the way others see us, it's going to deflate any balloons and any delusions, any bubbles that we've created about ourselves. And that's a healthy thing. Because living in a bubble, living in delusions, you're not doing anyone a favors, least of them yourself. It's my life on the line, so who am I kidding? Imagine a, a business that's going to start reading its own press releases and start <laughs> believing its own press releases. <laughs> you'll be out of business, you'll be bankrupt. I mean, who are you kidding? I mean, you're not helping yourself. A good business person who cares about his business wants the honest truth. I'm not interested in buttering things up. I need to know the truth, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I Don't exaggerate the bad and don't uh, underestimate the good. I need to know accurately what is good and what is working and what is excellent and what is not so good and what is negative and has to go. And those businesses who never lose the capacity to assess themselves honestly are the ones who continue to succeed. And those who start reading the pre- start believing their own press releases go bankrupt. So it's my life. I don't, want my, I don't want to go bankrupt. I want my life to go well. So I have an interest. I want to see myself honestly and objectively. And when you see yourself honestly and objectively, then the, the bubble... You pop the bubbles, you pop the balloon and the delusions. You put yourself down to size. Suddenly, the Lehman Brothers of the world and then the book were worth what? And then it was discovered they were worth nothing. It was all inflated, it was all delusional. It was put down to size. It's real value, what it's really worth in the real world. So that's how, that's truvatatoa. That's a time of soul-searching, self-assessment, honest evaluation. I mean, truth is, it's a lost art. Society doesn't encourage us to be honest about ourselves. Society encourages everyone to be proud of who they are. Instead of encouraging us to evaluate, evaluate ourselves honestly, and to be genuine and authentic, and to be truthful, it tells us to live in this bubble, in this delusion, to be proud, to be arrogant, to be. live in this totally delusional reality, which is very sad, and very tragic. Because nothing real can happen, nothing real can grow when you're living in this arid environment, so if there's no brokenheartedness, if there's no openness to change, you can't fill a full cup, and a person is so proud of himself, he can't fill a full cup, the beginning of every spiritual growth is you have to empty the cup, a little emptiness, a little sense of contrition, a little humility, a little sense of inadequacy, a little sense that there's so much room to grow and to improve and to change and I have to get my act together and I have to take the bull by the horn and I, you know, that's what gives you the appetite to change. That's what, f- that's what fuels your desire to grow and to expand and to change and to learn and to understand. This deadens you. If you tell a person, be proud of who you are and celebrate who you are, not what you will become, but who you are now, presently, the status quo, and celebrate it and be proud of it, you've killed the person. You've deadened any, any chance of the person ever growing and becoming and discovering and evolving and changing. It's spiritual suicide. So this is the first step.
0: Chapter 11 is a good metaphor.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even though there are no bankruptcies in Judaism, it's not a Jewish concept. A person is obligated to pay his debts. But uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> we have to take care of our, our debts. Everything has to be dealt with, everything has to be taken care of. Can't ignore. Something was done, something was said, something was thought. You have to take care of it. There's an energy that's out there, and if it's a negative energy, you have to deal with it, and you have to mend it, you have to fix it. So he's saying in this chapter, the Altarebbe is going to say, he's going to innovate, he's going to say something new, he's going to say that although he just finished explaining at great length, that there's the two levels of Teshuvah, the lower level of Teshuvah, and there's the higher level of Teshuvah. The ideal is the higher level of Teshuvah. That is what prayer is all about. But in order to get there, the only way is, first you must begin with the lower level of Teshuvah, which is a contrite heart and a broken heart, and and it must be in a different time. This is before the prayer, and this is during prayer. Before the prayer is the lower level of Teshuvah, which opens the heart and paves the way for the higher level of Teshuvah. And in today's day and age, that's too difficult, and therefore it has to be at a different time entirely, either the night before, and even that may be too difficult, at least once a week, Thursday night. But he says, nevertheless, he's going to introduce, in this chapter, there is an option where you can accomplish both at the same time, simultaneously. That's what he's going to say now. Which he's, he's saying is as a, a tremendous innovation, as a tremendous chiddush, isn't going to explain how this is possible.
0: This subject, simultaneously harbouring contrite humility in the heart, the state of teshuva tata, as explained in the above mentioned contrary emotion of joy in Hashem, that is also necessary for the service of prayer, has already been discussed in the puteh amarum at the end of chapter thirty-four. The Arthur Rebbe explained there that these two emotions are not mutually exclusive since one's contriteness is occasioned by his body and animal soul while his joy stems from his divine soul and the godly spark that it houses. Having two distinct causes, the two emotions can lodge together.
1: He started in chapter 26 in the first part of Tanya. It's all in lessons uh, at You have seven, eight chapters that The Rebbe discusses joy. And he concludes these, all these discussions that a Jew can feel joyful and at the same time he can feel broken at the same time. We laugh and we cry at the same time. Yeah. That's the Jewish way. We're the world's best comedians and we practically invented comedy. Yitzchak was called Yitzchak, the very first born Jew. Laughter. When Hashem told Avram he's going to have a child, Yitzchak, he laughed. Avram laughed. It was like the first uh, joke. So the whole thing was absurd. And so a Jew laughs, and no one cried as hard as the Jewish people. No one suffered as much as the Jewish people. And the truth is, crying and laughing are two sides of the same coin. You cry so hard until you start laughing. You laugh so hard until you start crying. So it's two sides at the same point. We can laugh and we can cry at the same time. The Rebbe cried so bitterly on the fact that we're in exile. And the Rebbe danced so strongly, so intensely, with so joy on the fact that we're on the verge of Mashiach. Dancing and crying simultaneously. He looked at the Rebbe's face. He was broken into a thousand pieces. The fact that we're sitting in exile. You can see it on his face. It was totally broken. And at the same time, the Rebbe was always joyful. Someone once asked the Rebbe, how are you? He says, Baruch Hashem, I'm always besimcha, I'm always joyful. And he was joyful, he made everyone around him joyful. And at the same time, he cried bitterly on the exile. Simultaneously. So a Jew can rejoice and cry at the same time. So Dr. Rebbe says, how is this possible? What what are we, schizophrenic? So he explained in chapter 34, the end of chapter 34, in the first part of the Tanvi, that he said that we have two souls. So I am rejoicing for my godly soul. My godly soul is perfect. My godly soul is literally a piece of the divine essence. My godly soul is whole and divine and pure and holy. And intact, I can touch my godly soul. Just like I don't have the power to touch and affect God, I don't have the power to touch my godly soul. Even if I make poor choices, it does not diminish my godly soul. It doesn't tarnish my godly soul. My godly soul remains pure and holy and, ho- and intact. So I rejoice with my godly soul. Every time I do a mitzvah, my godly soul is coming home. I study Torah, my godly soul isn't. isn't in, in the palace, in the royal palace, is being intimate with Hashem. It's a relief, it's a reprieve for my godly soul, so I'm joyful for my godly soul. And I am broken because of my animal soul, my ego soul, my natural soul, that has all these urges and desires and temptations, lust, fun, cravings, fame, all the superficial and external things so, I'm, so th- therefore, I'm crying that I have all these negative, self-destructive tendencies inside of me. At the same time, I rejoice that I have this godly soul inside. Me. The soul that makes us Jewish, the Yid. So, I can cry and I can rejoice at the same time. And, he quotes that this is actually the Zohar. This is sourced in the Zohar, continued, Al
0: Turavini. The Al Turavini now goes on to quote the Zohar to this effect. It is as stated in the Zohar weeping is lodged in one side of my heart, and joy is lodged in the other side of my heart. This statement was made by Rabbi Ben Shimans. Hearing from his father Kabbalistic insights into the destruction of the Holy Temple, he was at one and the same time heartbroken from his renewed recognition of the enormity of the destruction, and joyful to be inducted into the mysteries of the Torah. We thus see from the Zohar that two opposite emotions can coexist, and they result from two different causes.
1: So Rabbi Shimon, bar the author of the Zohar, revealed to his son secrets about the, the temple, the destruction of the temple. So on one hand, he rejoiced, because he heard such deep mystical insights that he's never heard before, and he was just overwhelmed, and he was rejoicing. On the other hand, now he felt bitter than ever because now he had a new appreciation of the the destruction and the tragedy of the destruction of the temple. So he cried and he rejoiced at the same time. So the obvious question here is, the Altar Rebbe is quoting himself from the first part of the Tanya. He said, we already explained in the first part of the Tanya, based on the Zohar, that a person could cry, and he could rejoice at the same time. So therefore he's saying, a person could do teshuva, the lower level of teshuva, and the higher level of teshuva simultaneously. I can feel crushed, contrite, broken hearted, and at the same time I can feel elated and rejoice in, in, you know, with Hashem. At the same time. Now, he just finished chapter 10 a whole chapter the second the end of the chapter explaining at great length how it's impossible to do this at the same time and he quotes the Talmud that you can't begin prayer until first you feel contrite which has to be before prayer and then you go into prayer and prayer itself has to be joyful and then he said it's so difficult that it's, even to do it two separate times, but in close proximity, right next to each other, it's hard for us in today's day and age to switch. He's talking about 200 years ago, forget, let alone today. To switch from one mood to the other mood. So you have to push it off, you have to do it the night before. And even that, he says, is too difficult. 200 years ago, even that too we have to do it once a week. We'll set aside, designate a time to sit and to do some soul search. So he says it's impossible. Then he says, he starts out a new chapter, he says, but you should know it is a possibility to do it simultaneously. And he quotes what he wrote earlier in the Tanya, the first part of the Tanya, chapter 34. And there he writes simply that a Jew can rejoice and and cry at the same time. So which one is it? Here you just finished saying it's impossible. And now you're coming to us and saying, you know what, maybe it is possible. You quote what you wrote earlier, and there you wrote it as a simple thing. Of course it's possible. There's no, big, there's no, it's no issue. And he quotes the Zohar. So wh- what is it? What's going on here? Which one is it? Why are you telling us this whole new innovation when you already wrote it before that it's possible? Why are you writing this whole thing? It's impossible. And you say, you know what? Maybe it's possible. And then he
0: adds... The answer this is faith and confidence, the heart being firm and certain in Hashem, that he delights in kindness and is gracious and merciful and abundantly forgiving, the instant one entreats him with forgiveness and atonement. As it is written, in accordance with your abounding compassion, erase my transgressions, cleanse me, purify me, or erase all my sins. The worshiper offers supplications such as the above without the faintest vestige of doubt. For this reason, in every shimon and the moment we plead, pardon us, we conclude, blessed are you O." O God, gracious one who pardons abundant. So
1: he's saying, he's saying, and to add to what he's saying, that it may be possible to simultaneously feel contriteness of the heart, the lower level of tshuva, and simultaneously to experience the high level of tshuva, he says, especially when you consider the fact that we're confident that Hashem will forgive us and erase our sin, as we pray in davening, please Hashem, have mercy, and forgive us. And we expect the moment we ask, Hashem is going to respond favorably and forgive us. So knowing that Hashem is forgiving your sins, that adds to the joy. So even though my heart is broken, my heart is contrite. But knowing at that, that moment that my heart is broken, my heart is contrite, Hashem is wiping away and cleansing my sin, and wiping away the sin and forgiving me, that gives me joy. So I can be joyful and I can cry at the same time. Early on, in the first part of the Tanya, in chapter 34, when he writes that a Jew is joyful and crying at the same time, he doesn't add anything. He doesn't have to bring any support to support that idea. He, he just writes it simply as a simple fact that, the, that the, a person a Jew can rejoice and he can cry at the same time. And he, he quotes the Zohar there. He quotes the Zohar, the same Zohar that he quotes here. He doesn't bring any additional support. Here, he starts a new chapter. After saying that it can be done, he starts a chapter, yes, it could be done. And he brings support from what he wrote earlier. And then he adds, and he quotes the Zohar, which he quotes there as well, and then he adds, and especially to support this idea, especially if you add the fact that we're asking Hashem for forgiveness, and we're confident and we trust that Hashem will forgive me, therefore, that Enhances the joy that enables me to feel joyful at the same time. Here he brings, he brings support to prove his thesis. There he doesn't bring any support. He just writes, it's a very simple thing that a Jew can cry and laugh at the same time. So what's going on? <laughs> so the Rebbe explains we're talking about two different, two different people here. The first part of the Tanya, we're talking about the Benini. The Benini, as Alter Rebbe writes in chapter 14, Benini refers to every Jew. Every Jew could be and is expected to be a Benini. A Bainini is perfect, the average. He never sinned in his life, as Alter Rebbe says in chapter 12. The Bainini is someone who never sinned in his life. He never sinned and will never sin. Not in action, not in, th- not in speech, action. not in thought. And he says this is the man, the every person, everyday person. Really? Do you know a single person in the world <laughs> who has never sinned and, and will never sin? I mean, are you kidding me? Who followed every letter in the code of Jewish law? Acts like a Jew, speaks like a Jew, thinks like a Jew 24-7? I mean, wh- whom are we kidding? And if you sinned once, you're disqualified forever from ever being a benigni, then we're all disqualified. We might as well quit while we're behind. It's too late. We already sinned. What does Al-Tarebi mean? He al means that a benigni is not just someone who doesn't sin. A thief who doesn't have the opportunity to steal thinks that he's honest. It doesn't make him honest. If a person didn't sin because A, he has not, he's not tempted to sin. He grew up in a holy environment, so he has no opportunity to sin. That doesn't make him a benini. A benini is a person who has a resolve, he resolves not to sin, that he can't sin. It's impossible for him to go against the wish of Hashem. It's not possible for him. It's completely Not that he doesn't sin. We're talking about a state of mind. He's in a frame of mind where sin, it's not possible. How can I go against Hashem's will? Hashem's wish, this is my life. So if Hashem expressly, I'm a soldier. If this is my orders, I can't go against my orders, period. I'm not a traitor. I'm not a rebel. I'm a a loyal, faithful soldier. I'm dedicated. I'm committed. I, I swore loyalty. So if Hashem says, this is my command, this is what I'm ordering you to do, and Hashem is not shy, He spells it out in great detail. It's called the Code of Jewish Law. Hashem says, this is what I want you to do. These are your orders of the day. So, so what do you mean? I'm not going to do it. It's not even a question. How can I not do it? It's, 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 not even, it's possible. It's not even possible of me to violate and transgress Hashem's wishes. So, it's not that it happens to be that I'm behaving, I'm, my behavior coincides with what Hashem wants to do. I'm a new age person. If it, if it fits with my schedule and if it works out and if it feels good and feels right, I'll be very happy to do what Hashem wants me to do. That's not the Jew. That's not Judaism. That's not a Benini. A Benini is a Jew who's committed. Whether I'm in the mood, I'm not in the mood, it fits, it doesn't fit, I like, I don't like, it doesn't matter. It's not relevant. This is what Hashem wants. Hashem's want is my command. And this is what's spelled out in the Jewish, in the Torah, in the halacha. This is Hashem's wish. It's not even possible for me to do different. I understand. I don't understand. I wish. I don't, it doesn't mean anything. You ask a soldier when you wake up in the morning, oh, you woke up in a good mood today. <laughs> you, think, you think you want to listen to the command today? I mean, you're kidding. <laughs> that will be the end of the army. Uh, you're a soldier. You don't ask questions. This is, this is your command. This is your duties and period. Otherwise, you'll be court-martialed. We're faithful. We're loyal. This is a benis. Now, the Rebbe says he doesn't mean to say that practically he never sinned in his life. Then we're all disqualified. He might as well close the book and quit while we're behind. There will never be a benni How can he say a benni is, this is every Jew. The every Jew is a benni a potential benni But he means to say that you reached a level where sin, it, it's not possible. It's as if I never sinned and I can't ever sin. Me and sin, just, it's not possible. I can't go against Hashem's wish. I'm tempted, yes. That's why I'm a benni That's why I'm average. I'm not a tzaddik. A tzaddik has no evil inclination. A tzaddik is not even tempted to do something wrong. We are tempted, but so what? I'm tempted to eat junk food, and I don't. I'm disciplined. So what? I'm gonna eat organic, I'm gonna eat healthy, I'm gonna eat wholesome, so I'm tempted. So, temptations are not, uh, genes are not destiny, so I'm tempted. That 20 million recovering alcoholics that have a gene for alcohol, so? You're born with a disposition, so? I'm tempted, okay have urges, inclinations. So, mazel tov, join the crowd. Everyone has urges and inclinations. It's called junk food, junk lifestyle, self-destructive behavior, suicidal behavior. And you overcome it. That's what makes you human. You exercise your freedom of choice. You overcome your urges. You overcome your instincts. You don't follow every urge and every instinct and parade it in the street. You overcome This is a benami. If Hashem says no is no. Hashem says yes is yes. This is it. So it's a state of mind. That's what Al Terebi means. The Beni is someone who, it's not possible for me to sin. Not only practically, I'm not sinning. Even if practically you don't sin, you're still a Rusher. If, if you had the opportunity, you would sin, then you're not a Baini. It's a state of mind, a commitment. A dedication that I, I can't... How can I go against the code of Jewish law? How can I go against Hashem's wish? It's as if I never sinned. I can't. It's not in my world I can't sin. I'm tempted to sin, yes. But but I, I have the discipline. I have the commitment to have it. So a Ben is someone... He, has, he doesn't have to deal with sin and negativity. It's not part of his life. He reached a place where negativity, negative behavior and negative speech and negative thought, lies and slander and... It's just not part of his reality. It, it's completely not part of his life. He's in a good place. So when a Jew is in a good place, what's he sad about? What's, why, why is he crying? Why is he crying? He's in a good place. He's a benin, he's perfect. Not only he doesn't sin, he can sin. Not like the tzaddik. The tzaddik is not tempted to sin. He is tempted to sin, but he can. not He can't bring himself to sin because Hashem said no. So he's in a good place. So why is he crying? Because he's tempted. That's why he's crying. He's not like the tzaddik. The tzaddik it doesn't even have a temptation. Money, power, fame, indulgence, cravings, fun, all these, all these things, lust, all these things to the tzaddik is foolishness. He has no temptation for any of it. He sees through it. That tzaddik is all about love and, 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 and connection and, and joy and honor and hunger. The real things in life. Meaningfulness and purpose and the real things in life that really satisfy us and connect us. So he's not even tempted. But the bain that's one or two in every generation. That's the 1% or the 0.1%. <laughs> but the 99.9% of us, the rest of us, who do have the capacity to be a bainani. We do have temptations and we have struggles and we have conflicts and it's difficult it takes tremendous discipline so that's why we're crying i'm crying that i even have these self-destructive tendencies that I even have these pulls and temptations and desires that's why i'm crying inside so the Al says simply if that's what you're crying about you can rejoice and cry at the same time you're not crying about anything negative that you actually have to deal with you're not dealing with anything negative. It's not part of your life. It's not only not part of your life, it, it, it's so far from your life. You're so committed that it's as if you've never sinned. So sin negativity is not part of your life. So there's no nothing radioactive in your life you have to deal with. You're crying because of the temptations. Okay, so you can cry and be rejoiceful at the same time, very simply. I, because it's not your fault that you have these temptations. God created you this way. You're human, you have an ego. So of course you have all these urges and instincts and pulling you in the wrong direction, like the force of gravity that's pulling you down. So there's nothing to feel bad about. On the other hand, you have a godly soul, a godly soul that yearns to go up, a godly soul that's connected, that's pure, that's intact, that's whole. So I'm rejoicing with my godly soul and I'm crying simultaneously for this negative energy that I have inside but here we're talking about Teshuvah. This is the letter of Teshuvah. We're talking about a Jew who has to deal with negativity, who has to deal with toxicity, who does have negativity that he has to deal with. And the truth is, everyone has to do Teshuvah. Because we have this ego and arrogance that can creep in and, and really dull our spiritual sensitivity and really destroy everything that's good. Especially when everything is going well and you're so perfect. You have to be so careful about that haughtiness and arrogance that can creep in. And that could be very toxic and deadly. Spiritually deadly. So you have to do teshuva, the lower level of teshuva, to break that arrogance, to break that crust, to break that heart shell and you have to have a broken heart. So Dr. Ebi says, listen, when you're dealing with toxicity, negativity, arrogance, haughtiness, you can't, you can't do it simultaneously. How can you be rejoiceful? What am I rejoicing? You have something that's deadly inside of you that's killing you. So, you have to first clean up you have to clean up a house. You know, you're not going to bring the king into a palace if the palace is dirty. You're not going to cook the most delicate food in a pot that's dirty. You're going to spoil and ruin everything. You can't do it simultaneously. <laughs> you can't clean and cook at the same time. Not possible. So, first, you got to deal clean. Cleanse. You have to do a cleansing, you have to get rid of all the toxicity all the poison, all the negativity. Once that's away, it's out of the way, now you can introduce the health and the, and, the, and the good part. So it's two separate things, two separate times. By the way, it's very interesting. Talmud says that a Jew is obligated to say that really I want to eat this piece of ham, but what can I do? My Father in Heaven doesn't let me. That's what the Talmud says. So the Rabbi Dov Ber, the Magid of rich. the elder Rabbi's Rabbi said, he qualified the Talmudic statement. He says the Talmud is only referring to a tzaddik, a righteous person. A tzaddik, he can make that statement. That really, I want to eat a piece of ham, but Hashem says no. So, But a baltruva, Someone who actually once ate him, <laughs> the baltsuva, he can't make that state because it's too tempting. He he's been there and done that, and if he says, "Oh, I want to eat it," but what can I do? He has to run away from it, like like he's like, like running away from death. It, to him, it's toxic; it's poison. He, he's not. He has to run from, run for the hills. So we see there is a distinction between a tzaddik who. It's so far away. It's so far from his life that he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to be afraid of it. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't have to run away from it. He just says, listen, I'm tempted, but Hashem says no. And because Hashem says no, I don't need it. Versus the person who's, who's connected to this negativity, he has to run away from it. He can't deal with it. So when you're running away from negativity, you have to run. You can't, you can't be joyful. Yeah, you have to run. You have to look at it as toxic and poison, and you simply have to run. But it does say that when a person reaches the highest level of teshuvah, where you've completely transformed yourself, you become like the tzaddik. Then even that baltruva becomes like a tzaddik, and he can say, I'm tempted, but what can I do? My Father in Heaven doesn't allow me to do. So that is introducing here something novel. And this is very revolutionary. And that's why he says it in a separate chapter. He says it like hesitatingly. He doesn't say it like it's not simple. It's not he says it's a possibility. And then he brings a support to add to it. And yes, he makes reference to what he wrote earlier, but we're talking about a different case here. We're talking about the Baal Shuv. What the Rebbe is saying, that even dealing with negativity, it's possible that simultaneously you should be joyful at the same time. They say the Baal once met a Jew, a simple Jew, it was the day before Yom Kippur. And he saw the Jew was very joyful. Hashem tov asked him, what? he said, Before Yom Kippur, everyone is repenting, everyone is doing teshuva, everyone is, uh, you know, you're confessing, and uh, minchi, you have to start confessing. And it's a serious time. It's the holiest day of the year. It's a day of atonement, a day of teshuvah. a day of confessing our sins. Well, 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 why are you so joyful? So he answered. He told the Baal he says, if my job is to clean up the king's palace, to clean it from all the schmutz, from all the garbage, yes, I'm cleaning up the garbage, but I'm cleaning the king's palace. I'm joyful. Shemtev liked the answer. He says, very good. Very good. You're right. So the Rebbe is introducing this revolutionary idea that dealing with negativity could also be joyful. Now that's ex- that's explosive. That's very powerful. That dealing with negativity could also be explo- could also be positive. Obviously, you're dealing here with a very high level of teshuva. We're not dealing here with the average teshuva. That's why in the last chapter he left off simply that it's not possible. It has to be two separate times and it has to be so separate that today it should be once a week, Thursday night, and that'll be enough for the whole week. Designate a special time. And here the Alter Terebi is introducing, but then there's another option. If a person is on a much higher level, a much more sophisticated level, much more advanced level, you can do to Teshuvah, even the lower level of triva, we have to deal with negativity and toxicity. And even that could be done with joy. At the same time. Even though you're dealing with things that are negative And that should pull you down. When you're dealing with negative energy, it pulls you down. But even that could be done with joy. Because when you have a certain distance, when you're able to step back, And you realize that this is just a part of me. But it's not who I am. Who I am is much greater than this, that or the other. So when you're able to step back and you're able to experience this negativity, even though you're dealing with very heavy emotions and feelings and and negative energy, but if you approach it the right way, even that experience could be a positive experience and it won't pull you down, it won't drag you down. It'll lift you up. you find it elevating. But that's a very advanced level because you have to be able to separate yourself. You have to be able to step back. You know, when you have your nose in the soup, you can't smell the soup. You've got to be able to step back. When you when you so... When you're so The ego is relentless. You know, It doesn't end, it doesn't stop. I, 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 I. So when you're stewing in the I and you're stewing in the emotions, it's impossible to step back. But if you really have the ability to step back and get out of your ego and realize it's just a little part of you and the you is much greater than the ego and the I, then you're able to approach this negativity experience it and whatever you will experience, you'll find actually uplifting, satisfying. You'll be able to experience real change inside of you and even though you're dealing with very heavy negative feelings, you'll experience it as a relief. You'll experience it in a very positive way. It won't pull you down, it will be actually be on the opposite, on the contrary. But this is a very advanced level. It's not for everyone. (laughs) But he's making the suggestion, he says, you should know that it's possible. At least you should know that that possibility exists. There is such a possibility. Where no matter what you approach in life, no matter what you have to deal with in life, and unfortunately we all have negativity that we have to deal with. It's relentless, it's all the time but you have the ability to completely step back and deal with it with the negativity and make it to shift and change. And and, and that experience will be positive. It doesn't have to be sad and, and, and pull you down. Yes, naturally that's how most people experience it and that's why you have to separate the two. You have to do it in a separate time, even a separate day, a designated time. Dr. Rebbe says you should know that it's possible to to be a baltruva and to deal with the lower level of truva with all the negativity and all the toxicity and all those negative emotions. If you're able to step back and go beyond your ego and really step back, as the Zohar says, you can cry, you're dealing with destruction of the temple, my inner destruction. And at the same time you're, you're, you're rejoicing. Even dealing with negativity doesn't have to be negative. It could be a, a, an uplifting experience, a positive experience, a positive energy. You feel a relief. It feels good. It feels uplifting and satisfying. Even when you're dealing with something that's very, very negative. I did something very negative. I experienced something very negative. A negative. Uh, but if you approach it the right way, even that negative energy could be transformed into something positive. Everything you've experienced, you can't change what happened. You can't pretend that what happened didn't happen. I can't pretend that what I did, I didn't do. Or what I said, I didn't say. Or what I thought, I didn't think. I did. But what could you change? You can change the whole context. You can change how you process it, how you're experiencing it. So if you're able to completely step beyond your ego, you're able, yes, it's heavy emotions, and it's heavy experiences, and it's heavy negativity, but even that, You're able to approach it in a very positive way. So everything is possible, the whole process is positive. While I'm dealing and processing all this negativity and the arrogance, whatever it is, even that could be possible. Even when you're dealing with with blockages, with things that are blocking you, that not allowing you to go to grow, and not allowing you to take it to the next level. You feel clogged, you feel blocked. You can approach that also. Approach that negativity also. You can step back and approach it, and then you can process it, you can change, you can grow, and it'll be a satisfying experience, and it will be a genuine shift and change inside of it. So this is a novelty. This is a revolution. This is al is introducing something very, very sophisticated, very deep, that most people probably cannot accomplish. And probably it sounds too fantastic, how is this possible? When I deal with negativity, I'm overwhelmed with the negativity. And that's where we, we have to isolate it. Like isolate it, designate a certain time, a limited time, when you can deal with all the negativity, and then you go on to the positive. It's two separate stages. What Rav is saying, if you go deeper, it doesn't have to be two separate stages. It can be the processing itself it could be a positive experience. And you feel positive and process. Because if you're able to be in touch with your godly soul to that level, you're able to completely step beyond your ego and completely step beyond the eye, create that space. Then the, whatever you have to process, well, you'll experience it in a very positive way, even when you're dealing with very heavy stuff and very negative stuff. But just the ability to create that space and to get beyond that, beyond the eye, Bar said, Me ayin. Yahweh where literal translation. King David says, from where will my help come? I don't know. <laughs> but he said, me, 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 ezri Hashem, my help comes from Hashem. So the Rebbe said, it's not a question, it's an answer. Where will my help come from? May ayin, from nothingness. Ayin is the same word as ani. When you take your ego and turn the ani into ayin, when you, when you take the uh, knee and turn it into not, nothingness, that's where the answer comes from. So one level is when your ego is crushed, when the person is crying, and the person is, feels so crushed, as in the example you gave, he was lost, he was totally crushed, he reached his wit's end, he, he was drowning, he didn't have a straw to grab onto, he was like totally, he had nowhere to turn to, and then the heart is broken, the heart is open, then Hashem responds. And he's saying here you can take it in a deeper way that not only you don't have to wait till your heart is crushed and you're so bitter you're so bitter, but the whole experience could be without bitterness. But the method is ayin. You have to completely get beyond your ego. If you're able to completely step back and completely get beyond your ego, beyond your I, then things will start flowing and things will process and change and, and you'll see the answer. And then he says, on this level, on this level, not only isn't it a contradiction, the crying and the laughing and the rejoicing, but one helps the other. Because when you are confident that Hashem is going to forgive you, and Hashem is cleansing you, and Hashem is processing it and cleansing it, that enhances the joy. Otherwise, it's two separate things. My heart is crushed There's one stage, and then my heart is crushed. That opens me up for the stage number two. But the two don't connect with each other. One has nothing to do with each other. It's like two separate stages. First, I have to be completely crushed. So I have to, my arrogance has to be completely crushed. And then my heart is open for the next stage. But but in this level, it's not a contradiction. It's not two separate stages. One enhances the other, knowing, and having the confidence that it's all a cleansing, and that Hashem is 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 it's all a process, and Hashem is cleansing, and Hashem is forgiving, and uh, then at the, so at the same time, I feel rejoiced. So I don't. It's not a question. I don't have to be crushed. I'm saying there's a possibility, you can go through this whole process without having that rushing and the bitterness it could be in a joyful way he says it's a very high level it's a very deep level a very profound sophisticated level but you should know that there is that possible it's important for us to know maybe we'll experience once in a while maybe one day we will be able to achieve it but it's important for us to know that there is that option important for us to know that Hashem is there and that it
0: helps us i mean that's the great realization
1: That's what it's all about. But some people don't discover Hashem until the heart is crushed, until they reach that point of bitter tears. But there's a way to reach Hashem, he says, in a joyful way, without those bitter tears. The same effect, the same deep effect, if you're able to step out of your ego. Unfortunately, most people don't have that capacity to step out of their ego until they're reduced to bitter tears, and then they're... Okay, I, I give up. <laughs> but there's a way for a person, if you have the strength of character and you have the depth and you have, there's a way for you to achieve this without that. My life is completely crushed and I haven't, you know. But that takes a lot of. And then everything could be, even the process could be joyful. Not only the
0: end result, but even how you get there could also be in a joyful way. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.